the axe of the blood god. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Axe of the Blood God, US Gamer's official RPG podcast. I'm your host, Kat Bailey. With me today is my co-host, Nadia Oxford. Hello, how are you all doing? And, uh, well, we're going to be hitting a variety of topics, as usual. Um, we have a little bit of news for you. We're going to talk about the Final Fantasy XV delay. We're going to continue putting Super Nintendo RPG series in context. Hooray! With... Seiken Densetsu, um, better known in this case as Secret of Mana, um, and also its sequel, which never came out here, um, which Nadia knows quite a bit about. My understanding is that she's a big fan. Just a little, but yeah, little and big at the same time. I'm very excited about Seiken Densetsu. And we're also going to continue with our underrated RPG pitches. Um, not It's kind of weird. We've kind of hit a lull. Don't you feel that? Don't you feel that way? Yeah, definitely the calm before the storm going on here. Yeah, it's unfortunate because um, uh, the Deus Ex reviews will be out um, today based on when this podcast comes out, but we can't do any, like, we can't do a podcast about it um, because the people who are playing it are busy and can't really come on the show. So we're going to have to wait until next week to get into Deus Ex. Um, But in the meantime, I've got a bunch of rpgs kind of on my plate but mostly i've been playing madden (laughs) which is kind of an rpg oh yeah we're getting to the point where you can right now it's a simulation and simulations are different from rpgs yeah but Um, uh, in the sense of i mean there's a difference between i guess say building up a team versus I don't know, role-playing. Um, but we are getting to the point where sports games are becoming RPGs. Like NBA 2K, definitely an RPG. It has a story, has characters, has the whole nine yards. But Madden's which, uh, still a simulation. Which football player is the bard? The bard? The um, bard. I'm not sure what you mean. <laughs> I'm just joking around. Just thinking oh. of like building up a team and building up a party. See, I thought of- you meant Chris Cluey because uh, he was the punter for the Minnesota Vikings and kind of an infamous RPG nerd. <laughs> was he really? Oh, yeah. Huge WoW player. Um, oh, man. That's amazing. To the point that he actually, I actually brought him on my podcast back when oh, I was working sweet. for GamePro. It was the last podcast before um, we all got laid off. Aww. Yeah, which was kind of a drag, but it was awesome that I managed to get him on the podcast before then. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. He was a great guest. Um, Unfortunately, for times weren't great for him either because he ended up getting cut by the Vikings the following year, and he he made a bunch of allegations about their special teams coach being homophobic, and Mm -hmm. it was kind of a public spectacle, and he ended up getting blacklisted from the NFL. Ah. Anyway, Cluey's on my mind because he was actually on uh, Jason Schreier's uh, podcast Split Screen over on Kotaku. Oh, cool. Yeah, so he's still around. He's still kicking around. He's he gets to take his millions of dollars and hang out and play RPGs for the rest of his life. So good for him. I actually, I actually love professionals who are like huge nerds and take the time to talk to us about that sort of thing. Yeah, isn't that nice? I mean, it's a reminder that even though they kick around a football uh, for a living, they're just like us. They're just yeah. like all us peasants. There's a lot of wrestlers like that, too. 
Uh, I think that there are a lot more nerds hanging around in the professional sporting ranks than we actually think. Secret nerds. Yeah, they just can't admit that they're a huge Pokemon fan and that they're secretly <laughs> like, oh, well, I'm going to raise up my Mega Charizard and everything. Speaking of which, spoiler alert, if uh, you're like a big fan of the Pokemon anime, which I'm pretty sure um, there are people who listen to this podcast who are. Um, did you know that Ash lost again in the Pokemon anime? I like that again emphasis, but uh, it's funny. I was looking at my Twitter and people were saying how most anime is like, oh, believe in your dreams and you can achieve anything. And Ash, uh, he's not getting a free ticket to anything. <laughs> no, it's be- look, he's already a master, all right? He's got like 40 some like high level Pokemon. He's traveled the world like this kid's done pretty well. He's And he's apparently found the secret to never aging. Yeah, apparently. I'd like a, I'd like in on that. But when he gets to the leagues, um, he either runs into people who are cheating McCheaters and mm-hmm. bring like legendary Pokemon in, or he like always comes just short and ends up choking because he made a he made a bad matchup decision, or in this case, um, it's just straight up like Super Saiyan stuff, and <laughs> you know it's like the two. The two major attacks crash into one another, and they look at one another, and then the other one falls down. Yeah, some some very uh, Cell uh, game stuff right there, by the sounds of it. I haven't seen it. Have you? Oh, no. I don't watch Pokemon. <laughs> Neither do I, to be honest. But, I, used uh, to, I used to watch Pokemon as kind of a guilty pleasure about 10 years ago, um, uh-huh. but... I ended up stopping because I mean it's the same it's the same thing over and over again, um, right. and it's always going to be the same thing over and over again. Once they decided that Ash was going to be their protagonist forever and ever, Amen. That he <laughs> was basically doomed to wander the earth, never aging, and never ever ever winning a Pokemon League. Holy shit! He's the biblical Cain. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, he's never going to win. I don't know why people act like he's going to win. Uh, just. If you really want something that's a little more fulfilling, maybe watch the Pokemon Origins anime or stop expecting so much from a children's television show that's now like <laughs> 20 years old. It's like, why hasn't Ash aged? Well, dear, it's because it's a children's show and you weren't supposed to watch it into your 20s. Yes, stop taking it so seriously. But, but uh, I actually did like the Origins anime quite a bit. I wish it mm. had been longer. Oh, no, it was really good. Um, and it was very, it was a lot more faithful to the game and mm-hmm. it was much more about, you know, becoming a master, finding the Elite Four, that kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. I still, I maintain that their biggest mistake was not just hitting the reboot button with each new saga. Yeah. Like, in introducing a new Ash-type character for each region. Yeah, exactly. But um, uh, Trying to shoehorn Ash into each region, it didn't really work. They've uh, definitely made their Pokemon trail, and now they have to amble down it. I guess they do, but they're ambling down while making a lot of money, so I don't yeah. think they're exactly <laughs> they're not crying concerned. too much. Yeah. All right. Uh, oh, gosh. I, I was going to do a Super Robot Wars OG kind of review on this podcast. The problem is I haven't played enough of it because oh. I've been playing too much Madden. So mm-hmm. I've also been playing some other RPGs, including Deus Ex, so... I um I'm sorry I'm kind of a failure but if you joined me for my stream yesterday uh thank you and I appreciate you being there so that we can talk a little bit about Super Robot Wars or OG I will say however the uh the English is pretty bad oh is it oh man it's um it's basically like they ran it through Google Translate 
<laughs> oh, I think I saw some of that on your Twitter account. Uh, that, yeah. I guess that's what you were uh, tweeting, huh? Yeah, no tense agreement, like terrible punctuation. Um, it's kind of gobbledygook. It doesn't really necessarily make sense. And it's not helped by the fact that there are always, there are already like a lot of con- confusing terms and like tons of lore going in there. So it really is just washing over me. The main benefit of playing Super Robot Wars OG in English is that it is, you can read the menus now. Oh, well, that's nice, but uh, come on, guys, it's not the 90s anymore. Well, I mean, I think they, I almost guarantee that they either did it in-house with a non-native speaker, mm-hmm. or they outsourced it to some company in Asia who did it for a low, low fee and used non-native speakers, because I see some definite language ticks in there um, yeah. that are definitely non-native um, and probably Japanese. Yeah, so at least you can, I guess at the very worst, you could think about it as nostalgic. Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, it's even worse than, say, like Final Fantasy Tactics, but whatever. Oh, wow. Yeah, I think the main thing is that you can read the menus. And uh, I guess that's the important thing. And get much more of a gist of what's going on. I mm-hmm. think that's also important. Like, I'm like, all right, I kind of understand what's going on. But so far, I'm actually enjoying it. So uh, if good. you're like kind of on the fence, I do actually recommend it um, because... I think the Super Robot Wars OG games are about as close as you're going to get to an actual next-gen Super Robot Wars game at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, the other ones are kind of in a weird limbo where they're coming out on the PS4, but they look like they're still on the Vita. Oh. Yeah, it's oh, yes. kind of unfortunate. The OG ones, like they look like they belong on a console rather than a handheld. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, so there is that. Uh, let's talk a little bit about news, Nadia. Let's. Uh, Final Fantasy fifteen delay. Uh huh. Are you upset? Are you? Is your heart broken? Um, are you fine with it? Or, or like, w- what's your take? Uh, my heart is not the least bit broken. I'm a little disappointed, but um, I actually think they're probably doing a good thing. Where you know they instead of doing a major first day patch, they're just saying, you know what, let's let's just kick this all back a little bit. Although they are kind of putting themselves up against some pretty heavy-duty releases that come around that time. And and they're going to miss Black Friday, too, if I'm not mistaken, aren't they? Yeah, missing out on Black Friday is kind of a drag for them. Um, they're still going to hit the holiday season. And it's possible that they're still thinking more about Japan than they are international release. Oh, that's very true. Because is... in Japan, the main thing is to get it out before New Year's, because that's when the majority of the presents are given. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. They give presents on New Year's. Christmas is treated more as a, like, girlfriend, boyfriend kind of holiday. Aw, So, sweet. essentially, it's the opposite, right? Mm-hmm. You spend New Year's with your family, and on Christmas, you go, like, to a party and have a Christmas cake. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, and you eat KFC, right? Uh, Yeah, KFC is a thing as well. Um, <laughs> If you go to Japan, the colonel, you'll see the colonel statues outside every KFC dressed up in a kind of a Santa costume. Wow. Yeah, I gotta it's see kind that. of amazing, actually, but... Uh, at this point, like, what happens with Final Fantasy fifteen happens, right? Like, the Pretty narrative much. is totally established. Either you're going to buy the game or you're not going to buy the game. Um, I would probably buy it. Even if I weren't in the press, I would totally buy it out of sheer morbid curiosity. Oh, me too. Definitely. I just want to know, like, what is, like, how did this game turn out? Like, I, what exactly are they doing with this? What is, how does the road trip thing end up playing out? Is the kind of a pro the bromance thing like kind of have merit i guess 
Yeah, what I'm looking forward to is uh, I've have I've heard a lot of complaints about the battle system, and um, I think we've gone over this before. But even if the battle system isn't very good, I can deal with that as long as I have a, a fun story to follow. Like I don't know, it just strikes me as a very sort of warm game, and I hope I'm right on that one. Yes, yeah, so you get a lot of good dudes chilling out and having coffee while like having engaging in cookie adventures. Yeah, exactly. Like, I love the idea of driving down the road, and it's like a pretty normal country road, then you look off on the horizon, and there's like a huge-ass adamantois there, just like taking up the entire screen. It's one of those games that seems like it wants to really engage you with its world and like put you in there and feel like you're actually on a road trip. Yes. Which is like a cute idea for a pilgrimage-type game. Yeah, I mean, it says everything that Stand By Me is the theme song. (laughs) Yeah, right? That's amazing. I, as for the other games that are coming out, um, I mean, Deus Ex is coming out soon. Mm-hmm. Um, Trails of Cold Steel three uh, 2 has now been confirmed for September 6th. Mm-hmm. Um, Dragon Quest Seven is coming out 10 days later, September 16th on the 3DS. I hear you clapping like... That's me. Very excitedly. Um, yes. And Pokemon Sun and Moon come out right before... Final Fantasy 15, and we talked about this on the other podcast. Right. But it'll be interesting to see if Pokemon Sun and Moon end up kind of sucking the oxygen out of, like, Final Fantasy 15. Right, and I think I argued that um, is possible, but I also think they're just two very different audiences, not to say there's no overlap at all, of course, but um, uh, I don't know, Final Fantasy in this day and age seems a lot more niche than Pokemon, which I think is going to get also a huge boost from the popularity of Pokemon Go. So you're going to get a lot of mainstream interest in Pokemon and more niche interest in Final Fantasy. But like I said, there is some overlap. It's just a matter of, do you have enough money for both? Is Pokemon, or is Final Fantasy niche? I mean, I feel like it's one of the few JRPG series that can get, like, real legitimate traction with mainstream just because of its name recognition. As far as um, RPGs go, it's, of course, a very familiar name. And, of course, RPGs are still far more popular now than they were when we were, like, a couple of nerds uh, playing Final Fantasy VI on the SNES. And no one knew what the hell a Final Fantasy was. But uh, I think, if anything, maybe this will be a game that makes people remember the name Final Fantasy, because maybe they'll recall, oh, I remember Final Fantasy VII. Maybe I'll give this series another try again. That's just my opinion. It's just, it's just that it's been so long since we've seen a mainstream Final Fantasy. If I think for a lot of people, maybe it vanished from their minds. Well, I'm personally excited for World of Final Fantasies, so that will end up sucking all the oxygen out of Final Fantasy XV. World of Final Fantasy... Try- Is that the one with the... Um- I'm blanking on that one. Uh... My, it's kind of weird. I mean, my understanding is that you collect characters. Yes. Okay. So is that the is that the one where they all look kind of chibi and? Yes, they're all yes. chibi and cute. That looks adorable. I I am definitely excited for that too. Even though I don't know too much about it at this point, I just looked at it and said, "Oh, I got to get me some of that." But I'm looking through the, uh, I'm looking through the kind of like releases that are coming this fall for in terms of RPGs. Uh huh. Um, and actually, it's a little bit weak. Um, oh, it's I, I don't feel like you have a true headliner uh, for RPGs coming out this fall. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, last year we had a a Fallout Four, which was right. definitely super headliner. Um, the year before that, we had Dragon Age Inquisition, which mm-hmm. say what you want, um, it's still Bioware. 
And oh, yeah. It's still, still a big pretty deal. big deal. Um, I honestly am totally blanking on what came out in 2013. Um, my point is, is that I guess Final Fantasy was kind of the headliner in terms of RPGs, unless you count Pokemon Sun and Moon, which it almost feels like it's its own world. Yeah, it's an RPG, but it, Pokemon exists for the sake of Pokemon. Uh, it very it much does. It, it's, and I don't think that for better or worse, people are going to put Pokemon in the same category as like a Fallout 4. Yeah, yeah. Uh, definitely you're going to get a far bigger interest from youngsters too. Yeah, and then of course we're going to have our hardcore RPGs like Trails of Cold Steel 2 and um, we're going to have uh, Dragon Quest 7 as we already discussed, but those are like very much more and World of Final Fantasy, and that will satisfy the hardcore RPG fan base for sure. Mm. And near near two. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So, like, those are all kind of interesting titles. Dragon Quest Builders. Yes. Um, if you want to include that, so in that sense, there's kind of an interesting mix, though none, very few, in the terms of kind of your classical RPG. Like, you got some remakes. You got some niche RPGs. You got a weird Minecraft thing. Uh, so Final Fantasy fifteen is kind of it in terms of like the big one. So. so I guess if they had to delay, uh, this is probably the year to do it. <laughs> I suppose so. Um, and also, I mean, if you're just looking at the the headliner games for this fall, um, it actually doesn't feel that big, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you got Battlefield one. Um, which, yeah, which seems kind of like a, a, an intriguing game, and I'm usually not intrigued by Battlefield games. Yeah, uh, Call of Duty Infinite Warfare, but that comes out every year. Uh, Civ yeah. Six, which I'm very excited for, but that's a PC mm-hmm. game. Um, Last Guardian. Oh, of course. How I mean, could I forget? No but- Man's Sky already came out, and that was kind of a disappointment. Yeah, and that fell a little flat. That fell a little flat. So it's like, I mean, Forza Horizon 3 will be really good um, uh-huh. with a particular crowd. Yeah, it's gonna be a weird. It's gonna be a weird fall, I think. It is. I I think so. And then there's the whole. Okay, Nintendo is going to announce the NX anytime now, so uh, that's going to generate a lot of excitement. But uh, as far it'll probably buoy up some of the games that are coming out this fall. But yeah, it kind of looks to be a little bit of a subdued holiday. Yeah, uh, I think it's just kind of a drag that Zelda and Persona both got pushed into next yeah. year. Yeah, that ended up hurting a lot. So. Yeah, so yeah, you're right. Uh, I guess PlayStation VR is going to kind of dominate the fall, won't it? Oh boy, so we can all barf on each other. We can all barf on one another, and we can all talk about how VR has arrived, even though it really hasn't. And yeah. It's just a, <laughs> a niche toy, and it doesn't really matter that millions of people, or like a million people bought it or whatever, that most of the games that are coming out for it are curiosities or demos or like, uh, proof of concepts that don't really amount to anything more than that. So Yeah, I don't know who had the bird game, but that looks really interesting to me. I'd love to play that. What's the bird game? Uh, I can't remember which uh, VR headset it's for or all of them, but um, it's just a game where you're a bird and you're just gliding through like all these environments and it looked really cool. And given the smooth frame rate, I feel like that wouldn't aggravate my motion sickness. Hmm. But um, the problem with VR too is uh, I think the PlayStation VR, you need what, like 60 feet of space or something like that? Oh, I don't know if it's that much, but it's, it's quite a bit. You need a fairly big room. It's not like something. It seems like something that you can't necessarily just put on your desk. Yes, and a, play with your like computer, which is kind of a problem because I think mm-hmm. a lot more people do that than you would think. Yeah, exactly. 
Especially the kind of people who have the money to burn on a PlayStation VR. Mm-hmm. So, I, I, some, I get the feeling that I'm going to end up with one despite myself. Alright, let's continue on with the conversation that we were having last week. And you weren't here, Nadia. I don't know nope. if you listen to the podcast. Um, it's okay if you don't, because I don't listen to my own podcast either. <laughs> but last week, we started on a little project. And as we all know, it's the 25th anniversary of the Super Nintendo. Yay! Uh, big deal, especially for the RPGs. And I, I kind of really wrestled with this topic, because I was like, well, I mean, the Super Nintendo's importance to the RPG space is like kind of self-explanatory, right? And yeah, it really is. Like reams of text have been written about its biggest RPGs. We all know that Chrono Trigger and Final Fantasy VI and blah, 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 blah. They're all really good games and they're, they're a big deal. And I'm sure we'll talk about them more and why they mattered. But the thing that I kind of found interesting was going back and looking at these long-running uh, franchises that, like, continued over the course of multiple platforms, and including the Super Nintendo. And I was kind of like, well, what did the Super Nintendo mean for these particular franchises? Mm-hmm. What did it do for them? Like, what? how did they use what the Super Nintendo had to offer? Did it impact their popularity, their graphics, their design? Was it the apex of that particular series? So last week we did Dragon Quest. We talked about Dragon Quest V and Six, And this week we're going to talk about Seiken Densetsu, better known as Secret of Mana. And Nadia, like you're kind of the Secret of Mana like super fan, uh, yeah, at least I'm on this podcast. Nutty. So yeah. <laughs> I was wondering if you could start by giving us like kind of an overview of the series um, from its humble origins to the present day. And also talk a little bit about the games that came out on the Super Nintendo. Uh, well, uh, Second Densetsu, Secret of Mana, started, um, I believe, as Final Fantasy Adventure on the Game Boy. Uh, and had, that, that particular game has been remade several times. I think a uh, remake just came out on the Vita for, as Adventures of Mana. Uh, plus, it's on iOS as well. Probably Android. To be clear, it was renamed Final Fantasy Adventure for the U.S. market because they just wanted to capitalize on the fact that Final Fantasy was kind of popular, right? Yeah, although, um, as it turns out, if you translate the the entire Japanese name of the game, which I I can't do right now because uh, I don't remember the whole thing, but it kind of translates to, like, Final Fantasy Gaiden, so... um, Interesting. And when you play the game, you realize, yeah, it takes a lot from Final Fantasy lore. Like, you have your white mages, red mages, chocobos. You really could fool yourself into playing your, into realizing you're playing a Final Fantasy game, the only difference being that it's an action-adventure game instead of uh, menu-based, etc. Um, but then when it moved on to the Super Nintendo and became Secret of Mana in uh, the U.S., it kind of dropped a lot of those Final Fantasy tropes, barring maybe Moogles, which... Uh, showed up in both Secret of Mana and, uh, of course, several uh, Final Fantasy games. Secret of Mana, for the, S- for the SNES, is a, is a very interesting game because there's no other Mana game or Seiken Densetsu game like it. It's, it. Its graphical style is, is unique. Uh, y- y- it's hard to describe, but you won't find its particular like across any other 
games in the series, and that includes even uh, Seiken Densetsu 3, which uh, I guess we kind of informally known as Secret of, of Mana 2 here, but we never really officially got it. Um, and to this day, I don't know why. Um, it's a uh, uh, Seiken Densetsu 3 is a gorgeous, gorgeous game, but it just never got a translation here, and I've heard different theories on why. I've heard that because uh, be- the game basically uses up every inch of the SNES hardware and cartridge. There was no room to translate because, as you know, when you translate Japanese to English, it kind of the, the the text takes up a lot more room. And I've also heard that Square didn't want to take away any fanfare from uh, Secret of Evermore, which came out around the same time. So, choose your poison, I guess. But um, either way, Secret of Mana. It's I know it's a flawed game, so I, I I can sit here and defend it if I want, but I know I'll be in the wrong. It's got bugs galore. The AI the for your characters is stupid as hell. Um, but it's just it was one of my first RPGs, and I think that's why it means so much to me because looking back on it, um, this epic adventure about this like this boy who lost his mother and it's like oh my god that's so sad and it's like by that point i hadn't heard it a thousand times already um and then he, i was thinking about it too though and i because i re- replay the game like every two seconds practically and um i realized the female character Purim, uh she kicks a lot of ass <laughs> <laughs> she's basically on a quest to rescue her boyfriend which is not something you see very often in, in games of any make and um, she's a karate expert, and uh, it all kind of comes to a sad end. Uh, and in fact, that's something that's a trait of the uh, mana games is they all tend to be kind of melancholy. But um, yeah, I guess you're not that big of a fan of uh, Secret of Mana, Secret Densetsu, Cat. Um, less that I'm not a big fan, and more that, um, as people who listen to this podcast probably know because um, I've mentioned it a few times, I didn't have a Super Nintendo during its heyday. Oh, right, right. I was mostly on the PC because that was what was in the house and I did not have a 16-bit console. My parents wanted to buy me one. And I suppose if I had saved up my money and like really focused on it, I could have had a Super Nintendo within a year, mm-hmm. especially once they dropped to like $99. Yeah. But I was a stupid kid and did not think in those terms. I only thought of what I wanted at that moment. Um, However, I was very much aware of Secret of Mana because uh, I didn't have a Nintendo Power subscription, but whenever I was at the store, I would pick up (laughs) a copy of Nintendo Power. Right. And one of the copies, one of the issues that I ended up picking up was a... Uh, one that had Secret of Mana on the cover. It had like kind of a dragon, um, I suppose. Yeah, the Flammy. I was immediately, I didn't like think of it in terms of an RPG, right? Mm-hmm. I just, I don't know. I didn't really think of games in terms of genres back then. I just thought of it as video game, right? Have you have you played the game since? Or oh, yeah, have- I've played it. I've played it. I have not finished it, but I have played it. One thing I will say for the game and... Um, there, whenever I turn it on, I just uh, cannot help but sit through the intro every single time. Because it's gorgeous. The it, entire gorgeous. game is gorgeous. It's one of the best looking Super Nintendo games. One of the best looking, one of the best sounding too. Yes, absolutely. And I actually ended up getting the ROM for the Wii um, mm-hmm. when it came out, but I never got around to actually finishing it. Sad. It looks kind of stretched out and ugly on, uh, you know, like 
uh, widescreen TVs. So not much you can do about that, I guess. But it's a very lush game. It's very green, very pink. You can play uh, it in four three though, right? Probably, but I was probably I, I'm lazy. <laughs> you got to play it in four three. You got to play those games in four three. Yeah, I know. But uh, it's a very but I I didn't play it very much on Wii. I, I played it. I had the original SNES cartridge. I seem to stick to that most of the time. I have because um, I still have a CRT for my old uh, SNES. Nice. And um, played it on iOS. The iOS uh, remake is actually very good, uh, barring the fact that, of course, you have to control it with a touchscreen. Not much you can do there. And also barring the fact that you can't have two other players join in with you. Um, they revamped the graphics. And what I really like is that they, since the sound effects don't have to share a channel, a sound channel with uh, the music, you can play, like, basically sound effects don't interrupt the music, which is really nice. I can't play RPGs on my on my phone, unfortunately. Yeah, I understand that. It's but... just like they're it's too intense of a too intense of a of a genre mm-hmm. for me to like really focus on uh, to me to be able to really play on an iOS because I mean it, they take a while to finish. They require a lot of mind power, and when I'm playing a game on iOS, most of the time. I want to hit a button and watch some stuff happen and then yeah. continue on. So, But they did like a really good job with the remake because they released a whole bunch of new promotional art. They redid the graphics. Um, I will say that the graphics, uh, what I was saying earlier about uh, how the original Secret of Mana has a very specific look to it, they took that away for the iOS release and made it more look more like every other Mana game, which kind of has that bubbly round look to it. Boo. So that I was kind of hot and cold on. But they added some really nice effects like reflective water and... Uh, and whatnot. So, how did Secret of Mana improve upon? I mean, the Final Fantasy Adventure slash original Seiken Densetsu. I, I can say that. I mean, it definitely had much better graphics, but of course, Super Nintendo game, right? Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But also the fact that you could control multiple characters. Yes. Um, funnily enough, I actually didn't play Final Fantasy Adventure until years after I played Mana, and um, I still enjoyed it quite a bit. It it, it is a far more traditional Zelda-ish RPG, though. Like you say, there's no uh, people helping you out, and which is kind of a blessing and a curse, because like I said, the original AI for um, the Mana characters on the SNES dumb as hell. And it's if, you get, if they get stuck behind something, you can't just go and let them catch up to you. You have to go back and free them from the place, and since the game is so buggy, uh, you might just wind up, you know, crashing all three of you. <laughs> <laughs> Soft-locking the game. But um, it's also, uh, the magic system, I think, was highly refined for uh, Secret of Mana versus Final Fantasy Adventure. Um, spells were kind of, uh, kind of a second, almost like a secondary thought in, the origin- in uh, Final Fantasy Adventure, where Secret of Mana, you had all the elemental deities like Undyne and uh, Salamando and Shadow and uh, Lumna, um, and you, had, you could build up their spells and... Uh, spells were like a really vital way to take down bosses in Secret of Mana because uh, half the time their defense was way too high to really strike them with uh, a weapon. Right, you had a you had the main character who had the sword, um, mm-hmm. which he fall finds at the beginning of the game and ends up getting exiled. Yeah, you have the girl, um, and then you have the little um, the little character with the, the little mage character, the little sprite. Yeah, little sprite character. Yes, who does most of the magic. Yes, uh, he has mostly uh, he, she, it. They never really tell you, but yeah. they have most of the attack magic, mm-hmm. uh, whereas the girl has the healing magic. And uh, 
when the boy says, what about me? When do I get magic? And uh, Undyne's like, oh, your sword's more powerful than any magic. And it's like, oh, what a cheap cop-out answer, Undyne. <laughs> so the things that I remember, I remember there was a witch. There was. I remember I think- that there was a canon travel service, which I thought mm-hmm. was kind of rad. That looked awesome. They used Mode 7 to like throw you up in the air, and it was pretty cool. This was back when I was this was during the period where like I would buy a Nintendo Power and just page through the magazine like ogling how like gorgeous the the sprite art on all these games were and it didn't matter what the game was I wanted to play it because it was gorgeous (laughs) (laughs) it's I think it's a shallow but valid reason uh, so after Secret of Mana, uh, Seiken Densetsu 3 came out in Japan, and mm-hmm. as you said, never made it over here. It didn't. Uh, there was also Secret of Evermore, which was not related to the series at all, um, no. despite having kind of similar mechanics and a similar name. And I was confused by that forever. I thought it was actually a sequel to Secret of Mana, but it was actually not. Yeah, um, I think that's why I was ultimately disappointed in it, because it, it's funny. I was going, I was really hyped for Secret of Evermore because I loved Mana so much. <laughs> And um, I was saving up for it, but then it got delayed, and Chrono Trigger came out first. And I was like, eh, I only have money for one, but you know what? I really want an RPG now. I'm going to buy Chrono Trigger. Good choice. And that, that was that was the right choice. Um, I would still love to give Evermore its dues. Like I've I've kind of piddled with it once here and there, but I haven't had a really a, a good chance to sit down with it and give it the dues it deserves because it, it met with a lot of scorn when it came out because it wasn't nearly as good as Chrono Trigger or Final Fantasy VI, but Looking back at it retrospectively, a lot of people say, you know what, this is a kind of a cute and ambitious game that had some fun ideas. So it doesn't deserve the the hate that it got. Maybe a little bit underrated, as you would say. Mm. Lesser known. Lesser known, maybe. I don't know. But so lesser known that I haven't really played much of it. Have you? Uh, Definitely not. Lesser known. uh, Speaking of lesser known RPGs... um, Jared Miracle wanted to talk a little bit about Seiken Densetsu 3. He sent me a he sent me one of the pitches for the lesser known RPGs, which by the way, thanks to the people who sent me those in. Um, if you want to send in more, cat.bailey at usgamer.net. I want to hear about your favorite lesser known RPGs. Pitch them yes. to me. Now here's what he says about De- Seiken Densetsu 3. Seiken Densetsu 3 is easily one of my favorite SNES action and lesser known RPGs. Well, it never came to the U.S. officially. I believe we got the best version thanks to the ta- efforts of some very talented ROM hackers. Mm-hmm. We do not support pow- piracy, but we do like it when we get fan translations of games. Absolutely. So I strongly recommend that you buy the buy the original game so that then you can go and get the 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 fan translation patch um, con- without guilt <laughs> or something. Um, even though that money won't go to the original creators, but I digress. Anyway, I think the main reason why I love it is that, as far as I remember, ARPGs back then had a very little custom- character customization compared to more traditional turn-based RPGs. Mm-hmm. Second Densetsu 3, on the other hand, had quite a lot of customization for an ARPG. It did. For example, there are six playable characters, but you can choose three to be in your party, and your party selection determines which of three final bosses in the dungeon you'll face. Each character has their own playstyle as well as six unique class changes. So the game had a lot of replay value, and as much as I've replayed the game, there's still one boss I've yet to face. The game is also multiplayer, so bring a couple of friends along for the ride if you can. Get a multi-tap, everybody. (laughs) I was actually wondering if it was multiplayer, because uh, I've uh, full disclosure, I've only played the translated ROM. Hmm. 
Um, and of course, he can't really do much there. And God, that was like one of the, that's like from the heydays of, uh, fan translations when, uh, you have Bahamut Lagoon and, and Seeking Dead Tetsu 3 and Final Fantasy 5. And as soon as I had a computer that could handle it, I started downloading that stuff left and right. So you were definitely on the fan translation train in the mid 2000s. I was, although I was a fool and I kind of believed the, uh, retranslation the djap translation for final fantasy 4 was quote-unquote accurate and you know had all the stuff that nintendo has supposedly censored in it and it was just bad <laughs> mm. it was just kind of like jacked up for edgelord uh value <laughs> with all the swearing and you know references to boobies and stuff but uh no seeking tetsu 3's fan translation was it was excellent and uh, so was bahamut lagoon i might be wrong i know that tomato who did mother 3 Mother 3 friend translation. I know he worked on Bahamut Lagoon, but I, he, maybe he worked on Seekin Tetsu 3? I don't remember. But either way, excellent, excellent job. And uh, yes, that is a highly, highly customizable game. I mostly remember playing as Kevin, uh, because number one, I like werewolves, uh, and I thought it was just so awesome how, first of all, the game goes from night to day, and when it turns to night, Kevin turns into a wolf, uh, werewolf, and just, just pummels the hell out of everything. Oh, Kevin. And, yeah. <laughs> and also, if I recall, he was the only character who, if you raise him up properly, you could get a multi-target heal spell. And I'm a very paranoid RPG player. If I don't have a, a multi-target healer in my party, I'm just crapping myself. Yeah, having a party healer in any kind of traditional turn-based RPG is like kind of what you need. Yes, yes. But... um it was a, like I said, it, it was a gorgeous game that just pushed the SNES to its limits. Sometimes I look back on it and say, wow, how did it manage to do all of this? Uh, I didn't like the soundtrack quite as much as I loved the first soundtrack. It still has some gorgeous tunes, though, like uh, the theme for the uh, Holy Land uh, is called Decision Bell, and it's just one of the most amazing pieces of SNES music I've ever heard. Anyway, Jared continues, the game has its flaws and a few bugged mechanics, but overall I think it's an excellent game. A really sad bugs. Gasp. <laughs> it really saddens <laughs> me that the Mana series didn't try expanding on this formula in the later games. I think that if they had pulled a Zelda and just expanded on formula, we might still have Secret of Mana games today. I agree. A few pro tips. If you play the game plan ahead and bring a class with you that can multi-target heal. Yeah. If it's your first playthrough, make sure Angela is in your party and you choose the sorceress class. You won't regret it. <laughs> Those are good tips, actually. So there you go, Jared. Thanks for writing in. Um, and of course, uh, Seiken Densetsu 3, one of those great lost RPGs. Mostly I look at the screenshots and go, dang, that was a beautiful game. Maybe one it of the is. most beautiful games on the Super Nintendo. It's oh, really by far. impressive. It's almost, uh, I'd almost say it's PlayStation quality. So, Nadia, here's what yes. I'm wondering. Um, did the Seiken Densetsu series peak on the Super Nintendo? Um, I think so. I just did not get engaged with any of the games after that. Um, I recently bought, I think it's Legend? Legend of Mana? Was that the I PlayStation one? Yeah, I just could not get into it. It mm. was so slow. I, w I was shocked by how slow the battle system was. It looked very I'm pretty on the PlayStation back in the day. Oh, gorgeous, gorgeous. Just uh, probably one of the last games that just of the amazing sprite era, I guess I'll call it. <laughs> but I was confused by the... the I was confused by the mechanics um, yeah, and the description that they gave me was like, this doesn't sound like a traditional RPG. Pass. Yeah, um, it, it really isn't. Um, and 
it's a bit of a shame because the the original Secret of Mana, like I said, it was one of my first RPGs, and it's being so accessible is what drew me in. If I, you know, had to dick around with like a whole bunch of town building and menus and, and weird things, I would have been like, "What am I doing? What's going on?" And I would have never really gotten engaged with the series. What was it about? Uh, the Super Nintendo, do you think, made uh, Seiken Densetsu kind of peak on that console? Was it just like a quirk of fate that that the series had the resources? Or was it that, um, was it the fact that it was just better suited for 16-bit play and never ended up really translating to later consoles? I wonder if it was just better suited for, for 16-bit play because, um, let's face it, uh, Secret of Mana plays a lot like Zelda, so maybe Square said, oh, Zelda's great. Let's make our let's do our own take on that, and just kind of built from that. And then Seek and Densetsu Three built on Secret of Mana. Um, and let's face it: once Square had the free reign to do what they wanted with a CD-based system that could, you know, hold so much data, they kind of went crazy. <laughs> like, to say the least. Yeah. So if they decided, hey, let's add all this stuff into this Mana game that no one really wants, but uh, well, let's do it anyway. And they did. And uh, you know, the 16-bit era, kind of, they, they, they were forced to rein themselves in a bit because they didn't have those resources. So all they could really do was a really good Zelda clone and then, like, you know, build up on their projects thusly. So over the years, we had Children of Mana and Heroes of Mana and Legend of Mana. Uh, but neither of them really compared to... Uh, they were all kind of gimmicky. Mm-hmm, um, exactly. And none of them really ended up comparing to the greatness of Secret of Mana or Seiken Densetsu 3, which was really disappointing. And I think personally that, especially if like Square Enix had really gone all in on the PlayStation 2 and made a really good 3D action RPG, Mm -hmm. um, that they could have actually been onto something and created something with some like solid crossover appeal. I mean, certainly look at Kingdom Hearts, right? I mean, that was a party-based action RPG uh, that really resonated with people. And while I would argue that the mechanics weren't actually that great, it did show that as a proof of concept, it could work. Yeah, and uh, one thing I will say is that uh, the original Secret of Mana was meant to be uh, a game for the SNES PlayStation CD hybrid thing. So to this day, I wonder what would that game, what what would Secret of Mana look like in its quote-unquote true form? Uh, Especially since the way I hear it, Chrono Trigger contains a lot of elements of what was originally planned for Secret of Mana, hence why both characters, Chrono and the boy, Randy, have spiky hair. Oh, interesting. So was there time travel in the original Secret of Mana? Was there, you know, a world-destroying entity? Uh, It's just one time they were whole. What would have happened if Square Enix had had that, you know, had everything all together? Of course, maybe they would have gone crazy like they did with the PlayStation, but... Maybe they would have produced something really cool. I mean, not to say both games work on their own. I'm glad they, they they were released the way they were. But it's just something to chew over. It is something to chew over. Uh, but unfortunately, it seems like those Seiken Densetsu games are kind of dead. Yeah, sadness. But, I mean, Secret of Mana, aside from the, the bugs and things that you were describing, um, holds up pretty well, right? It does. I've again. I'm nostalgic, but I've played it several times over, and I've never really gotten tired of it. It just has so many moments where you look forward to. You know how you play a game you love, and you look forward to visiting, you know, certain places over and over again. It has so many of those moments. Like I, I'm, like I said, the intro screen itself is just so gorgeous. I never get tired of listening and watching it. 
Um, I never get tired of visiting the Pure Land and seeing the Mana Tree because, again, just the music there. Holy moly. Um, I never get tired of the Ice Palace. I, I can just play that game over and over. It is definitely my desert island game. So it's pretty clear that Seiken Densetsu really came into its own on the Super Nintendo and that a lot of what we know of as a series was defined on the Super Nintendo. What mm-hmm. do you think was kind of the best, single best quality of the 16-bit uh, Seiken Densetsu games? Was it the graphics, the soundtrack, the story? Um, what do you think? Or is it just the fact that there were big, amazing RPGs that weren't really matched afterward? Uh, for me, it, it it was almost a combination of things. I know that's a, a cheap way to put it, but... Uh, uh, it was such a... I, I was kind of wrong when I called uh, Secret of Mana my first RPG, because actually, yes, I had been into RPGs before. I was big into Dragon Quest. I, I tried Final Fantasy on the NES and didn't like it very much, uh, Secret. But um, then I pick up Secret of Mana, and everything, it's like everything had a, a huge upgrade. Like, the graphics looked gorgeous, the soundtrack was just a, a superb, and there was a story and characters I could really emphasize with. Okay, so Secret of Mana, if you ever want to play it again, it's available on iOS, and you can also get it on the uh, Wii Virtual Console. Is it not on the Wii U Virtual Console? I don't believe so, no. Sigh. It would be nice if it were available on the 3DS Virtual Console. I I would would really, really like that. I would totally download it if that were the case. I would download that in five seconds. It's actually one of our harder-to-get ROMs. Is it really? I mean, yeah, because I'm... There's the Wii Virtual Console version, but it's not available on, like, say, PlayStation. Oh, uh, I, I wouldn't say that it's widely available outside right, of like, a couple of platforms. So. Right. And, yeah, you're absolutely right. Yep. All right, before we go, um, let's hit one more lesser-known RPG letter. Uh, do kind of a twofer, right? Yeah. Um, this one's from Joey O'Connell, and it fits in a little bit with our Pokemon discussion from earlier. Okay. This one might be a difficult to acknowledge, but I nominate Pokemon Coliseum and its sequel, Pokemon XD Gale of Darkness. Mm-hmm. Pokemon is an enormous franchise, but these games are too often overlooked or dismissed. These two games are the most hardcore RPGs in the Pokemon series, and they take the most risks and make the most interesting changes to the core formula. There are no gyms, no wild Pokemon, and all the battles are, in my opinion, the superior double b- battle format. Oh, Joey. Joey, Joey, Joey. <laughs> oh, child, child. There is a very limited pool of Pokemon, which forces you to use Pokemon that most people would ignore. The story Mm -hmm. is darker than traditional Pokemon games, not that it takes much, and the characters are, for the the most part, more interesting. The soundtrack is also amazing. I will agree with that one. The soundtrack was really good. Anybody who skipped these would definitely check these out. They're my favorite games in the series. I would love to see another Ore game headed by Genius Sonority. Thanks. Genius Sonority, of course, is the spin-off studio that was funded specifically to create Pokemon spin-offs like yeah. Pokemon Col- Coliseum and Pokemon XD Gale of Darkness. Nadia, did you play either of these games? Um, I did not, um, but I was very interested in both back in the day. Um, it's actually funny you bring up Pokemon Coliseum because uh, there was a debate on Tumblr recently about how does Golbat close its mouth? <laughs> and someone discovered it was actually answered through uh, Pokemon Coliseum. He kind of closes it bottom first, so he's got like this big underbite. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, I definitely was interested in, in uh, XD because I was uh, I, I was intrigued by the story, number one. I was also intrigued by the fact that your character started with an Esprion and an Umbreon hmm. in, instead of like traditional fire ice, uh, sorry, uh, 
fire plant water. So I don't know why I never got around to playing it. But um, yeah, I would definitely like to learn more about these games if you played them, Kat. I maxed out the clock on Pokemon Coliseum. (laughs) Well, that says it all, I guess. Yeah, it was 2003, and like I was in poke peak, 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 peak. No, this is early 2004. I don't remember. Whenever this game came out, I was in peak Pokemon form. Like I mm-hmm. was just crazy for Pokemon, and so I pre-ordered it, and I got the special disc, and the special disc featured a Jirachi, um, oh, wow. which was awesome because that was the like the the super special legendary Pokemon, and in fact, I still have that Jirachi. Um, oh, cool. It's part of my legendary collection because I just go out and collect legendaries now. I don't even bother trying to catch them all. I just like <laughs> having the rare ones. Yeah. But so yeah, I have the Jirachi from the bonus disc, and then the game came out, and I was super pumped because at the time in Ruby and Sapphire, you could not access all 386 Pokemon that were available right. at the time. That's right. Which was super frustrating because the data was actually on the cartridge; you just couldn't oh, get to it. That's interesting. So like people were complaining; they're like, "They're locking us out of the data that we bought." Which I suppose, um, and it felt like a, it felt like a serious money grab. I'm not gonna lie; I, I was not happy about this. Yeah. So Coliseum comes out, and they bring, and it brings with it a ton of Pokemon from Gold and Silver. Mm-hmm. Um, it has all. It has like Tyranitar and Suicune. It has the legendary dogs like Suicune and um, Raikou and like all those guys. Mm-hmm. Um, and the kick, though, is that you have to capture these Pokemon. But they're like shadow Pokemon. Mm-hmm. So like they are like these kind of angry evil Pokemon. Huh. And you have to use them in battle a whole bunch until they're purified in their full form. Like they are fully cleansed, I suppose. Right. And once you finish Pokemon Coliseum, you can then use a Game Boy Advance transfer cable to transfer all of these monsters into your game, which is oh. the main reason that I bought it. Right. But as I and you can also transfer all of your monsters from Ruby and Sapphire into Colosseum. Mm-hmm. But the main reason I used it was because it was an amazing place to train monsters. Yeah, I would be. Because there was this like battle tower mm-hmm. um that you could like that had like a hundred levels on it. And once you got up to like level ninety or something like that, the monsters were pretty high level. Um, so I would just send them in with like my level 100 monsters and just clean house. <laughs> and that would be like the ama- an amazing way to level up my monsters, getting all the right. way to the top. I would get tons of experience from fighting the guy at the top. Plus the music was really good too. So yeah. like I could like totally enjoy that. And also um, Pokemon Coliseum had like a lot of really interesting high level challenges. Mm-hmm. Um you would fight through you could fight through these um oh god what were they anyway like they weren't quite tournaments they were like survival challenges or something and they were really hard you were fighting like legendary pokemon like kyogre and everything yeah and it introduced to me like some of the like some of the higher concept battle strategies that would appear in the later games um for example um like pairing a a a kingdra with swift swim next to a kyogre and like a kingdra like could suddenly go really fast and Mm -hmm. had its had its water attacks like super powered up um and stuff like belly drum which would like cut your experience but maximize it or cut your health but maximize your attack 
Right. And so you had to really be on your game. Um, yeah. And the end, at the end, like you had to fight just like this huge array of legendary Pokemon. It was super hard. And I was so proud of myself. Like, I, I remember, I think I came down to like one hit point and I finally managed to like overcome and beat the final challenge. And it was nice. really hard. Really, really hard, but I was That's very awesome. proud of myself for being able to do that. Um, so basically, I I did everything you could do in Coliseum. And while I think that ultimately, um, it, it was just different from your average Pokemon game. And mm. it, I don't remember it well enough to be able to say whether it was a really good game or a really bad game. Um, I, at the time, I remember being a little underwhelmed by it. Yeah. Because I especially was annoyed that, for example... They brought the, that they reused so many of the models from Stadium. That's right. Like the new models looked great. The old models did not look great. And the shadows were terrible. <laughs> I think I remember seeing those. I was really distracted by like how sh- bad the shadows were for like Jump Luff because they were square. Mm-hmm. That- yeah, it was, I mean, <laughs> the, it just stood out to me. It was super annoying. So, so I, I fixated on stuff like that. And it was kind of slow. Mm-hmm. Um, and... The process of actually purifying the monsters was a little bit tedious, but I like, but in hindsight, I like that it had a different kind of story. I liked that it, I liked the Aura region, which was like this desert. Yes. I liked that, I find it interesting that they did the double battles, even if I disagree respectfully with Joey and much prefer single, uh, single battle combat. Um, yes. Because that's the original. Um, and I, uh, I liked the fact that you could get all the monsters, even though it was kind of a shameless money grab on the part of Nintendo. I did not get Pokemon XD Gale of Darkness because it was more of the same. Mm-hmm. And at that point, Fire Red and Leaf Green were out. And so it felt a little more redundant. Yeah. I wasn't like, oh, I need to go out and get these monsters that I already have. Like I already had, I forget. Uh, I th- I think at the time, like, the big deal was that you could get Lugia and Ho-Oh from this one, which mm-hmm. were not available in Coliseum, but my memory is shorting out a little bit. But I was kind of burned out after Coliseum, so I was like... I can't imagine why. <laughs> so I, I wasn't super interested in picking up Gale of Darkness, but um, a lot of people seem to think that that one is, like, better than Coliseum and is actually kind of an underrated entry in the Pokemon franchise. I will say that I really wish that we would get more games like them on, yes, say, the Wii I agree. U. Uh, these companion games where you can get special Pokemon that have, like, special, like, solo challenges. Uh, that would be really nice. Yeah, I'd definitely like to see more uh, Pokemon spinoffs that are kind of for an older audience, like, uh, you know, Pokemon Rangers and whatnot, uh, Pokemon Mystery Dungeons. They're, they're very cute, and uh, I'm sure they're very fun. I haven't played them too much, but uh, like I said, the... Um, the premise for Colosseum really kind of intrigued me, and we haven't really seen anything similar since. Yeah, it was your fully featured Pokemon RPG, and yeah. I mean, it wasn't what people were expecting necessarily, but it did have a story, and it did have like some interesting mechanics, so uh, maybe it doesn't deserve to be as overlooked as it was. As, as for like, uh, when I, I actually asked the developers if they would ever plan to make Pokemon Stadium again, and they were kind of dismissing it and saying, well, I mean, the, the main thing about Pokemon Stadium was that you could see your monsters in 3D. So we need to find an angle that like is more exciting than that. 
Mm, and I was enough. like, um, yeah, I guess that's fair. But part of the reason that I enjoyed Pokemon Stadium was because it was hard. Oh, yes. I can see where you're coming from there. I never played it, but yeah, I can see why it would be the case. I mean, one of the reasons that I didn't play Omega Ruby Alpha Sapphire much after I finished the main story was because there really wasn't that much to do. I mean, you could go collect some stuff. Uh, oh, and yeah, the um, the contests were awesome. Don't get me <clears> wrong. <throat> and I liked being able to build up the secret base. But beyond that, like in terms of pure battling, I was so disappointed by the lack of the battle frontier because I wanted these high level challenges. And I know that I'm certainly not alone. Um, but there seems to be this idea that Pokemon fans are very casual and like the high level challenges are only for a niche audience. And maybe that's the case. But I think that I know for me personally, I have not been playing as much because I don't have these high level solo challenges to challenge my wandering samurai Pokemon. (laughs) And I definitely got that out of Stadium and Coliseum. Axel Blood God is available on iTunes, Stitcher, and uh, Google Play and various other places that you can go check out, iHeartRadio. Subscribe to us, us, rate us, review us, uh, tell us how we're doing, send us more underrated RPG pitches to cat.bailey at usgaver.net, and we'll keep reading them here on the air. Um, Yes, they're fun. Yeah, they are fun, aren't they? Yeah. Um, and it's nice that people are able to talk about an RPG that they really like, love and know. Like you can feel the passion for those games coming mm-hmm. out over the emails. And plus, it gives me something a little more in depth to read. So uh, you can follow me at the underscore catbot. Follow Nadia at Nadia Oxford. Um, check out her blog, Tiny Girl Tiny Games, where she writes about a bunch of stuff. Is there anything else that you want to pitch right now, Nadia? Uh, no, I just got off vacation, and now I've got a cold, and uh, until those things are settled, I am going to just kind of stare at the wall as long as I can. Oh my god, I'm so sorry. Feel better. Thank you. Um, so if you want to listen to more podcasts, like where we talk about more general interest stuff, more newsworthy stuff, uh, stuff outside of the RPGs, check out our podcast from Us to You, which is our flagship podcast. Yes. Um, last week we talked about. See, Bob ranted about Funko Pop. Um, <laughs> we talked about. We wrapped up our No Man's Sky discussion. Um, Mike talked about World of Warcraft Legion. Uh, so we hit. Oh, and I had my Capulet Sports Minutes. So we That's right. really hit a variety of topics. So go check that out. From us to you, subscribe, review, and rate that one as well. And we are also streaming pretty much every day each week. Jeremy's doing a Super Nintendo countdown. He just did Final Fantasy IV, which is appropriate for our RPG podcast. Mm-hmm. So uh, I strongly recommend that you go check out that. In the meantime, Nadia, uh, we'll be back next week. We're going to have a cool interview with um, some RPG developers. We'll probably do another SNES in context. Um, we're coming up to the point where we're going to be talking about Deus Ex. We're going to talk about World of Warcraft Legion. So we got tons more RPGs to be talking about in the next couple of weeks. Yes. In it never case, stops. I don't know. It never stops. Thank God, right? Because Indeed. I, I could deal with this. I need so many RPGs in my life. All the RPGs. For Naughty Oxford and myself, I've been Cat Bailey. And until next time, happy adventuring. Happy adventuring.